0: you're listening to the embrace family recovery podcast a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction now here is your host margaret swift thompson Welcome back to the 22nd episode of the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. It is so humbling to realize that we've been at this for 22 weeks and how much this has grown thanks to your support. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, and for following us and writing reviews. And if you want to and haven't yet, please go to the Apple Podcast platform and write a review. For this podcast, if you're finding it helpful. Today, we're going to learn more about Diane's famous line. Whose bobber are you watching? You will learn more about this wise woman's walk through recovery. And she is a person who walks the talk, for sure. Let's get back to Diane. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. as a mother growing up with addiction in the family experiencing your own addiction were you a person in your own story growing up who wasn't going to use and be like other people who you'd seen were you going to break the chain as we hear family members often say when there's a generational disease
1: oh yeah absolutely when i like so my mother was Um, I had the substance use disorder when we were growing up. My father was a normie. My parents divorced when I was seven in 1965. And that was at a time where men almost never got custody. It always was the woman. And in 1965, my father was awarded custody of all of us, except um, uh, our oldest sister. And then she actually did go to, to... uh, treatment when I was thirteen and or fourteen. but I had so much like any other child of an alcoholic anger and and um and lack of trust and all of those um you know broken promises and it's you know your birthday's coming up and we're gonna have a circus and a pony and a you know blah, 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 and then you'd come home and and find my mom passed out and so when she left uh and I went into those teen years I just had this I just had this like attitude like you aren't there for me when I needed a mom I'm never going to need you in my life and so I uh largely was terrible to her um but my dad wouldn't let me be like completely terrible to her. Like I couldn't say anything because I did one time and I, I got this quick rebuke about that's your mother. You don't ever say talked about her like that.
0: Your dad to say that mm-hmm. despite what he had lived through as a partner of someone who was in that same behavior pattern, right? Cause his or her addiction uh-huh. was there to stand by the co-parent concept or that out of honor to her having given birth to you all, despite whatever education he had or didn't have about the disease Mm -hmm. to then say to you, "Mm -mm, Mm -hmm. that's your mother.
1: And he had none like, no, never, um, you know, did never did any kind of family treatment or any family work, but he, uh, uh, and we told this to my mom, um, years later because she asked, she was pretty astounded too, because she said, your father had, right, your father had every reason to talk badly about me. And, I, and all of us said, I never heard him say anything. He must have, on some level,
0: I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this because we don't know, but it, like to know that it's a disease, like that is classically what we would teach a family member to work towards, right? Mm-hmm. Love the person, n- not the behavior, not love the person not the disease. Be mad at the disease because this disease causes pain, but show respect and compassion for the sick person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he did that without any education. That's quite remarkable. I thought so.
1: So did you say to yourself, I won't use? Oh, yeah. If I had a nickel for every time I said, I'm never going to be like my mother. I am never going to be like my mother. And then to have that, um Uh, And my drinking career lasted four years um, from 19 to 23. And uh, to see that, like my drinking career started when my brother who was 20 years old he was 11 months older than I was was killed that's when I started drinking and when I got sober four years later and started to take a look at the insanity of my own addiction like who turns to the very thing that kills somebody that they love as a way of coping like I mean, if I mean, from the get go, there was there was the insanity and then the addiction. It was fast and furious, you know, like.
0: But everything you're saying, you know, for those who are struggling to understand it's a no fault disease, like you're giving such great information to help them internalize that because, A, you would never choose to be out of control and like your mom was in her disease. B, as you said, you lost someone dear to you due to this disease. And, in that moment, turn to the thing that took them, like if that doesn't speak to the powerlessness of this disease, if we w- we have it, mm-hmm. nothing else does
1: absolutely
0: mm-hmm. so you also I'm sure said it'll stop with me, mm-hmm. and with your
1: son, we're sober mm-hmm. I thought it did, um because. So he was two years old when I quit drinking. He was the reason that I quit drinking. Um, I was finishing my undergrad degree and we lived in a town probably 60 miles south of where my mom lived on the reservation. And she would come periodically to pick him up and bring him up. She, uh, she was running a group home for recovering Native kids at the time. And he'd love to go up there. He just, because there were people there that were, um, and I never, um, physically neglected him or physically abused him, but emotionally, I wasn't there emotionally. I I was so wrapped up in, in my drug of no choice that, you know, it, it just, he knew that. And so, uh, my turning point came when he was two years old, my mom came down and he saw her car coming down the driveway And he went over to the closet and he opened the closet and he was trying to get his little suitcase down so that he could leave. And I just remember like just having that moment as like clarity was like, I'm supposed to be the most important person in this child's life and he doesn't want to be around me. And my mom came in and we talked and she said, can he come up? And I said, yeah. And so I had always been kind of like a weekend warrior. Like I was on the Dean's list when I was in college and every music and theater production they did. And so my mom took him for the first time in my life. I drank every single night until he came back. And that's the only time I ever drank every single time It's just to, I just couldn't wrap my head around that, feel that pain and just, you know, have that be true. Like that was true. And so um I, and I, so, and I didn't quit. This was in October. I didn't stop drinking until December, a couple months later. And I just said, I went to my mom and I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then I realized is that, I'm forcing this child to grow up exactly the same way that I did. And I knew how much I hated and resented my mother for years until we worked through that stuff. And I was, I knew that the only person who could guarantee that he didn't grow up the way that I did was me. So your
0: disease was doing that to both of you.
1: Mm -hmm. Because as you as his mother would never have done. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, that he he doesn't ever remember being around alcohol. He doesn't ever remember me ever seeing me drink anything. It was never in our home. We didn't even smoke, you know, so there was like nothing. And the first couple of years of my recovery, I really stayed away from my family during like the um like the high drinking times because I just wasn't ready for that. So we mostly did some of those holidays and gatherings with um, my sponsor and her family and my AA family. And so when I was about, I think I was probably about two or three years sober, I felt a little more comfortable and safe enough to be around my family. And so we were at a family gathering and he started to see some of my uncles and my cousins drunk getting drunk and he had no idea what that was like he was he was looking and watching them and and then he said to me he said what's wrong with them and i thought sweet baby jesus my son doesn't even know what drunk is and i really thought i broke that chain right
0: this podcast is made possible by listeners like you can you relate to what you're hearing Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button.
1: Now back to the show.
0: So, again, really powerful reflections for family members who beat themselves up. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, I must have, or what didn't I, or how did I parent, I should have done this. Your son had a feeling about you without ever seeing you consume alcohol when you were active. Mm -hmm. Like, That speaks so profoundly to the impact of this disease, whether the person is using blatantly in front of them or not, that there's a level of preoccupation that robs the family of that person. Mm -hmm. To then see some use when you're sober, well, two things, to be exposed to all of these family, extended families who are recovering family members, like what an imprint on your son to see that at a young age. You know, I I hear a lot about will we ever recover from what this disease has done to our family? And I always hope people can hold on to the hope that, yes, the disease has imprinted on the family, but by God, the recovery absolutely imprints on the family also. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then to see active use and be like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really speaks to, Diane, how... You don't have to be using, but if you're active in the disease mentally, if you're just a dry drunk, even if you're not using recovery tools, it changes who you are and changes the impact imprint on everyone around you. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. I think, um, Mike was four years old and I was having you know, I was in a, wasn't in a good place. And he, I was cooking dinner and i slamming things around and he looked at me and he said, mom, I think you need a meeting. I think you need to call your sponsor. And I looked at this four-year-old child and said, are you taking my inventory? So, I mean, that recovery was normal for him. He grew up around the campfires and the tables of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why I thought it was going to be different for him because, uh, you know, my other sibs, you know, had children and were active in addiction and, uh, and he didn't, he didn't have that. Uh,
0: It just shows, right? There's no, There's no guarantee. There's no definitive way to prevent.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of kept him clear eyed because so him and my daughter-in-law have four children and none of them have ever been in a home where there has been alcohol or drugs. None of them have ever seen their parents under the influence of anything. But he's pretty clear eyed that he knows that it, there could come a time where one of his kids is going to struggle, but they've always done, I think, a really good job with prevention for their kids. Just to say, and Mike says all the time, I can tell you it's down that road. I can tell you what's waiting for you. As a mom of a person with a substance
0: use disorder, speaking to other parents, partners, what would you say have been the most helpful things that you've engaged in or utilized to help you navigate that really stressful, difficult time?
1: Well, it's, it's you know, certainly family recovery has saved my life, literally, because I, I, I learned heard very early on when I would still want to get in there and try to fix manage and control him because I've been sober this long I know this much you know just do what I tell you to do I do this every day for a living and none of that was appropriate because he wasn't on my caseload he was my son and so and and my um, my Al-Anon sponsor is the one who said to me all the time did anything that you do get your son clean and sober no then maybe you want to try doing something differently and so that's where you know getting into the steps and just taking a look at if if i am gonna let go and i am gonna trust that the god of my understanding has a plan for his life it's not me you know to drag him I tried doing that for years you know dragging him kicking and screaming to some place that he wasn't ready to go and but having this education and having recovery myself I would always kind of want to sneak in and just say but what if I seem to and she would say who's bobber are you watching well what if I can I just tell him, who's bobber are you watching I would always try to end around and she always brought me back To whose bobber are you watching? And then that's what she said. My job in family recovery was to watch my own bobber because I was always that person with everybody, not just my son, with you know, my sibs and 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 other people in my life. I was the one that was saying, look, 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 look. And, you know, wanting to watch their bobber. And I mean, none of it ever worked out well. So you and I have met many
0: mothers, partners who go. What do you mean? Don't watch their bobber. They're off the rails. They're not going to be okay.
1: I'm supposed to just ignore. No, I mean, just the same. I mean, it's, 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 it's what we, it's what we learn in our recovery on this side of the disease is that if I'm going to be any kind of support to him, I have to make sure I'm in the best place possible. You know, it's it's like you can't pour from an empty cup. And if I'm drowning and he's drowning, how's that going to turn out? And so it's just living those concepts and 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 understanding that the best way to support him is to take care of myself and ask him. And I'll tell you I think it's kind of really cool is that even without saying that to him he does that and his my daughter-in-law does that they do those things that kind of feed their soul and and take care of them so that they can be everything that they are to to their kids and their kids see that they see that this is something that's really important to my dad and so it's leave him alone this is his time to you know uh, um, it, it, it and it's working out for him Um. So how, if you don't mind sharing, how did
0: you, when you're in grad school and parenting and family dynamics that they are and in a profession that's highly demanding because you're dealing with people who are suffering and potentially dying from this illness, what things did you implement to fill yourself up? Your meetings and your sponsor, I heard that loud and clear. Was Mm -hmm. there other things that you started to do, even if it felt strange? Jupiter, for lack of a better word, to do that? Because how is that going to help Mike?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the whole concept of self-care, right? For those on the family side, like I had no idea what that meant. But if you asked me what my son needed, I could go on for days and tell you, this is what he needs to be okay. This is what he needs to have things work out for him. Because of course, I knew all of that. But if anybody would have said to me, because I ask this of family members, what do you need? and they'll say i just want him to no that's him what do you need well if she would just do no That's her. So that whole concept of of self-care, I don't even know what that means. And so just finding those things that were important to me. So getting back involved in things like golfing with my women friends that I had given up, or getting back involved in directing community theater. So just those things that kind of feed my soul. And then reading something that I want to read, I don't have to read. Uh, I wasn't my Undergraduate degree is in English, so reading is like is is my thing, and um, and journaling, and I took a yoga class. That was quite the experience for me. I should have started with chair yoga for elders, I think.
0: <laughs> so, when a person says to you, "Okay, so you did those
1: things," mm-hmm. how did that help you? It 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 gave me, it's still just that clarity to know that he has a path that's his and he has a plan that is the same as his creator's plan. So there's not that effort and struggle. And I had nothing to do with it. It was like getting out of his way helped him to find his way you know, just by... St- Stepping back and getting out of that because nothing with my little fingers and, you know, manipulating around everything ever worked. But just continuing to do that, to know I love him unconditionally. I can't do things for him that, one, he doesn't want me to or two, aren't my job. Drop the mic. Getting out of his way helped
0: him find his way. Such a challenge for any parent, yet a true gift for any child. If you know someone else who could benefit from learning about how to heal and grow when the disease of addiction has become a family member, please share this podcast with them. Come back next week for my final episode with Diane. We touch on loss, recovery, forgiveness, family healing. You won't want to miss the continuation of Diane's story. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.